Hi friends, welcome to Womankind. This is your host, Kelsey Novitz, and I'm here with my guest for this week, Solange Castro. She is a writer and playwright slash comic um, coming to us from Los Angeles right now from her commute home. Hi Solange. Hi Kelsey, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. You're act- this is my 40th episode, um, so I'm very honored to have uh, you as my guest. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, So let's just start out by hearing a little bit more about you and um, just a little bit about your background and your story. Sure. Well, how far back do you want to go? I mean, as far back as you want to go. I'm here to (laughs) learn. I'm from from Berkeley, California. I was born and raised there. Um, And then I went to college. I went to Yale University and majored in English literature and um, did a lot of writing and playwriting there and um, struggling with the patriarchy there. And then I moved to Los Angeles shortly after I graduated and um, have basically lived in Los Angeles for for like a couple decades. And um, I started doing comedy in Los Angeles in the 90s and decided that it was just too hard um, because it is, and anyway, I took a break from it for 10 years, and then, uh, came back to it, like, seven years ago, and have been pursuing it pretty intensely, too intensely, if you ask me, (laughs) um, it's seeming like it's too hard again, but I also produced a play that I wrote called Changes in the Mating Strategies of White People, which I actually, um, it was suggested that I try to get it remounted, so uh, who knows? Maybe it will come back. It, it, it actually, my friend told me last night that she thinks that the subject matter actually would resonate more with 2018 than 2014, which is when I um, originally produced it. Yeah, because we live in such a, um, I mean, this is such an interesting time. And um, so this is just last night a conversation I had with a friend that who, who saw the play who said that she just felt like maybe it was ahead of its time. I don't oh, wow. know, but I'm, I'm Wait, willing to... Wait, say the to, title uh, one more time. Uh, changes in the Mating Strategies of White People. Interesting. Can you give us, like, it's, a little synopsis without giving too much away? Sure. It's about, um, uh, in a nutshell, it's about relationships, um, and it takes place, the whole thing takes place in a coffee shop. And it's about two couples. One is meeting on their first internet date, and the other one is an older couple who's been married for 30 years, and they're in the process of um, separating. And um, it's just really the conversations between these two couples and then other people. There's a couple other characters that come in and out. and But it's really around um, just the nature of romantic sexual relationships and, and the sexual politics and with with dating, especially in a city like Los Angeles where dating is really challenging and um, just there's no it, in some ways I think like you know online dating and porn and all this stuff is really degenerated to um, to the point where people a lot of people just can't have relationships they're just incapable of it or uh, non-sexual or like extended relationships you know past uh, past sex so Anyway, so it explored those themes, and to be honest, I have not really read the play in, like, three years, so if I read it again, even though I, like, saw, like, 
you know, t- like, I think we had three, yeah, I saw like 20, I probably saw like 50, you know, runs of it. Just wonder how I would see it now. I just, because I feel like I'm a different person and we live in a different time, but. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, like, culturally, we've, like, been through, like, a blender in the past few years. So, like, 2014 just feels like. like such a different time from now so I mean maybe with like a a little tweaking it would be perfect for now yeah I mean at the time you know kind of um you know misogynist or um entitled you know um it was considered kind of weird you know and now it's like you can do people are called at times so Anyway, I hope that maybe the play will see a new life, but, you know, if not, I can't really control these things. Yeah. Is that the only play you've written, or have you written other plays as well? I have written quite a few other plays, but none of them have really gotten to the stage of production, Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of like, I don't know, like this this play, like, I had so many readings of it, and then it got to the point where people were like, you have to produce it, you have to produce it. Like, it was sort of like the universe was like, produce this damn play. But <laughs> I, I just, I'm, I don't really believe in, like, just producing plays or creating things just to do it, because, you know, you really, like, you're, you, you know, people time is involved. I'm not talking about people working on it. There's two, but people who come to see it, and I just, I guess I'm a perfectionist. Like, I just want to deliver quality work that's meant to be seen. I don't mm-hmm. want to just be like, I'm a playwright with, like, 50, you know, all these, because it makes me important or whatever. I don't know. It's just, I feel like there's so much content and stuff created now, and a lot of it that I consume, it's just, like, so mediocre. And I'm like, probably would have been better if we didn't have this in the world. You know, like, I don't know what this contributed. Like, or if we waited until it had gone through, like, more drafts. But yeah. maybe I'm a, I'm super critical and perfectionist. I mean, we do have the ability to, like, super mass produce things. And I think about this with, like, books all the time. Like... You walk into a bookstore, there it's just, like, wall-to-wall, like, endless books. And, like, not everyone is good. <laughs> um, you know, no, I totally agree. And it's just such a, like, I don't know. But then you think about it, like, each person, like, put their time and effort into it. But maybe not everyone who's doing that is meant to be a writer. Not everyone who put a book on a shelf is meant to be a writer. Um, well... I have always wanted to write a book, and I'm trying to, but it's also, like, I mean, I have a blog that I've had for 15 years, and, you know, I I love blogging because it's, like, very low pressure, and you can just put your stuff out there, and it doesn't have to be perfect, it's just a blog, and I thought, and I've kind of, like, pulled it together, or the things I've written into, like, and I'm just, I don't know if it's, you know, like, I don't want to publish a book just to say I published a book. Like, right. I want to feel like I actually contributed something that's going to help people or it's going to... Because I do know, like, when I have that experience of, like, reading or watching something that's really powerful and really well done and meant to be created, it's transformative. And I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know if my, like, that's just, like, having... Being, like, you know, having too high of standards, but... 
I just would, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't written a book yet for that reason. It's just like, do I really need to write a book? Or well, is it just something that, like, my ego would like? Well, I love, like, the thought and care that you're putting into it, because now I'm like, huh, anything that Solange puts out, I feel like there's thought and care behind it. So I would want to read that. You know? Thank you. And I, and I would want people to feel that way. Like, mm-hmm. I, so I, I've been doing stand-up comedy for, you know, if you added up all the years, like 10 years probably. And, um, but they were like divided, you know, there was like a 10 year break in between. Mm-hmm. And, um, my friend, uh, suggested that I record an album and I had never thought of that. Like it didn't occur to me. And he said, well, I'll do it. Just, um, just get a venue. And then another friend, uh, um, he offered a venue for me to produce my own, to have my own show, and he would produce it. So, like, the, all these things fell into place, and I recorded in my comedy album in September, and it's coming out in December, and it's jokes that I've been telling for, like, years and years. So they're, like, I'm so tired of them, but they're very, like, you know, they're, they're polished gems, and... I mean, not every joke in my comedy album is a polished gem, but most of them are because I was, I was doing comedy so much for like seven years, and it turned into like a album, and it was like the kind of thing where it like really just happened by the forces of the universe, and I really felt like like I did not even have the idea to do this, and now it's happening, and so I feel really good about it because it's like it wasn't like. I'm going to produce a comedy album someday. Like, I honestly didn't even think I'd be doing comedy at this point in life. Like, it seems, it's weird. And I kind of feel like maybe I can retire now. I have an album. Maybe I'm done with this. <laughs> well, congratulations. That is amazing. What, is there a title of it? Or is it just like... Yeah, it's called okay. A Journey of Self-Discovery. Interesting. And it's coming out, um, well, I'm hoping it comes out December 7th, but I don't know for sure. I have an email newsletter that I'll put you on and um my goal is to um market it to women who I feel like my audience is women I mean of course I have no problem with you know men appreciating my work or thinking I'm funny but I really target women in my material and in my um you know everything about me is just like I feel like I'm a comedian for women I feel like I'm a feminist who tells jokes like I'm like more feminist than a comic and um and so I really want to find my people because the only way to really have a career as a comic or as a writer is to find your fans that connect with you and they're you know I know they're out there but like they aren't at comedy clubs you know paying like two drink minimum right necessarily some of them are but you know what I mean it's it's a very male it's a very like kind of alcohol infused um just comedy the history of it it's very stuck in the 80s and so I don't really try to um go to clubs I don't really try to be like a male comic mm-hmm. at all I just like I, I do mostly female shows like all my shows coming up are female shows like a lot of coffee shops or random places like more of like you know like to me it's more like political activism slash art um than like trying to be some kind of you know traditional idea of a, of a stand-up comic that so that's interesting can we talk a little bit about because you said you did comedy back 
a few years ago and then you started up now, um, have you noticed like many changes between what it was like then versus what it was like now? Or is it kind of like oh, the same yeah, old boys club? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I write about it in the book that I, I'll never publish. <laughs> I write about it. Like, um, so in the 90s when I started, um, that was kind of the era of like Riot Girl. Mm-hmm. like Alanis Morissette, and um, there was just this pocket of time in the 90s that were actually, was actually very feminist, and um, and that's kind of when I started doing comedy, and so quite a bit of women, I knew quite a few women who were just these really kind of powerhouse, you know, really funny, um, really brutally honest, truthful comics, and they, and that was kind of like when I when I started, that was kind of like what I looked up to. They were kind of like my mentors. And then, and then I took a break and, and when I came back, it felt like comedy was like mostly men, mostly white men. And, um, women were really sexualizing themselves in comedy, which, you know, they still do. Maybe, maybe it's thinking, but like I noticed in like 2012, um, like it just, it was so, women are just so sexualized in our culture and in comedy. And I still hear a lot of jokes about anal sex from women. And it's just, I don't know. I think, I think women are really confused about what they, what, that you can actually just be yourself and have your own voice in comedy. You don't have to have this, you know, I don't know. I want to appeal to everybody. I think a lot of women want to appeal to men when they do comedy, when they perform so, I well, noticed that shift. Oh, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. I mean, I was just going to comment that, like, so I'm, I'm here in Buffalo, New York, um, and I've spent a sh- small amount of time in the comedy scene here, and, like, you know, in Los Angeles, you guys have, like, I don't want to say an infinite number, but a good number of spaces where it's female and there are female comics and all female shows. We don't really have that here. I would say that I've heard of maybe one female show happening recently that was like all female. Um, but other than that, if you go to like an open mic night or something like that, like you're lucky if there is more than one woman in the entire show. And then it's kind of like the same thing. You're like in between rape jokes, you have you know, maybe a woman or two that gets up and yeah. it's kind yeah. of like and unappealing. Pretty, <laughs> and that's pretty standard for yeah. comedy, I think in our country. And I mean, there are a lot of female shows, but like there are shows that I produce and that I perform in, in most of them. And, um, and, and they're good, but like, I have to say that I don't necessarily feel like they are always respected, you know, mm-hmm. because when men aren't involved, it's like, well, that's not important. Right. You know, so I, I produce, I co-produce a show that raises money for a woman's shelter called the X-Chromo Show. Mm-hmm. And that our, um, our next show is December 14th. And, um, you know, and it's, it's great, but, like, I feel like the real prestige shows um, are quite often not all female. Right. Um, but it seems like there is a more pressure to include females and stuff. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of infuriating to think about too much, to be honest, because <laughs> I guess, like I was told that, um, 
there's this comedy competition, which I'm not into competitions, but um, at this theater, the West Side Theater, and this woman who's producing it now said that barely, like, 5% of women apply to be in it. Or, I don't know if it was 5%, but it was some really small percentage, maybe, like, I don't know. It was, a very, like, 20% of females and then 80% males apply. So they obviously don't have enough. But I've applied to it, and I haven't been selected. So it's just, it's like, it's hard to know, like, what is really... I, I honestly think, like, I know that a lot of the stuff that I talk about in comedy, because it's very, like, in-your-face feminist, like, I don't, I just address everything. I know that a lot of guys don't appreciate it. Um, I mean, they might respect it, but a lot of guys don't respect it or appreciate it. So I can feel the tension. You know, I can feel that, like, you know, guys want to be, they want a lot of guys want to have this, like, male face. They want to be dudes, and it's like women are infringing on that. And it's just, like, very subtle sexual politics that honestly, like, are not, like, even though we talk about it a lot more than we used to, but it's not really, I don't really feel like it's really acknowledged or discussed, like, how intensely kind of hostile, like, male comedy scenes are to women. Mm -hmm. They just are hostile. And, um, I mean, maybe that's not surprising, that's just like the world we live in and probably have always lived in well in the last my last episode with diana matthews we talked about um you know when will be the moment when men will be forced to listen to women's stories um kind of in the way that you know we grew up watching movies and reading books in school that were from the perspective of male protagonists and males telling jokes and I mean, we tried to, like, put it in a more positive light where it's, like, hopefully people will come to these things. But comedy is kind of, like, a microcosm where, like, in what you're talking about, if there's, like, a female comic, like, on a show that's, like, mostly men, then men are in a situation where they're forced to listen to a woman's experience and a woman's stories. And I have to say, the reaction is not always pleasant, (laughs) Um, and you would probably know that better than I would, that, it, you know, this is a situation where men are being forced to listen to a female experience and just not reacting well. Well, I think, like, I know in comedy, it's like, if you, what I love about comedy is that if you are a good joke writer, which I consider myself to be a pretty good joke writer, I mean, you can't, like, a comic has to give it up for up to you. So if you can frame your life in jokes, people will listen whether they want to or not because you're doing because it really is a craft and if you can and I have enough years of doing it that I actually can do it pretty well so there's like a certain amount of respect for just the craft of it which is which is great but like I also believe that like the frequency of women like a lot of men just don't hear it they just don't want to hear their voice they just don't want to hear it but you can't deny, like, and I can feel it in an audience when, when people are with you, and I can feel it when women are with me, and, and it's like, you just can't deny that energy yeah. of, like, people being with you. So, I mean, I think it's like, with comedy, it's just a traditionally been a male thing, even men in the audience, and then, right. like, their girlfriends will come with, and watch whoever the guys like, but, like, I, what I'm trying to do with comedy is make it a female thing, and so I want to find a female audience 
you know, a female fan base and make it like, and I know Ali Wong has done that really successfully. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, definitely. She, has, she has a lot of, you know, fans across the board, but my friend opens for her, and he said that it's a lot of women that come to her. Because um, she speaks about, you know, I mean, she's, like, got her own style, and she speaks about really, you know, uh, her experience. So, And hasn't she been actually, pregnant for both of her, like, TV specials? specials? Yeah. She was pregnant for that, and I feel like that's a pretty cool element to yeah. it. Yeah, I, I know. I haven't really watched all of them. I haven't watched them in, in their entirety, but, um, but, yeah, she's pulled an audience that I would say would not necessarily be like a typical comedy audience. Mm -hmm. Um, But who knows? There is no such thing as a typical comedy comedy audience. You know what I mean? Now it's like changing so much. But I think it used to be like this club, you know, this kind of like drinking club Mm -hmm. type of thing, which is still there. It's still a part of it. Right. I mean, I feel like I came, I mean, I came of age in like the 2000s and I was never really into comedy when I was younger, but then all of a sudden everyone was super into Dane Cook when he put out that special. Like when I, and it was like, I, it was one of those things where like every boy that I ever talked to was like, have you seen Dane Cook's special? We have to watch it. We have to talk about it. And it was kind of like, eh, okay, I guess. Um, but that was like my kind of introduction to comedy, and oh my god, I'm I was really sorry that's your comedy. That's not like that doesn't bode well. I know, and what makes me sad, like people are always like, "Who's your favorite comic?" And I'm like, "You have definitely probably not heard of them." You know, I mean, the most famous favorite comic of mine is Maria Bamford, and like a lot of people don't even know who she is. So, I mean, I can name like a lot of female comics that nobody has heard of that are, like, I would rather watch them than 99.9% of male comics. I feel that like are I've well heard of her. Have you, have you talked about her on your podcast? Because I, I feel like I've heard of her, but I feel like I heard of her from you. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, no, I did. She had a, a show on Netflix called Lady Dynamite. Oh, okay. And I got to be, like, a featured extra on it. So I, I got to, like, hang out with the people on the show. It's a great, it was oh, a great awesome. show. And she's a great, she's, like, probably my comedy role model, my Mm -hmm. biggest, she's hands down my biggest influence. And she's really successful and well-known, but, like, still, so many people are like, who is she? But when people talk about their comics, they're, like, Seinfeld or, you know, I don't know. I'm just, like, snore. I I have no interest Mm -hmm. in hearing what, I mean, he seems like a nice guy, and I think he has good jokes, but, like, I don't, I'm just not really curious about what he thinks of mm-hmm. things, you know, like, I just don't, I don't know, and I'm always looking for women with different, you know, I mean, I would say Jackie Cation is really great, and Laurie Kilmartin, they're very, like, they're older, and they have a podcast, and they're very, like, just straight shooters about being female comics, and everything, and, and that's refreshing, but... I don't know. I mean, it, as you can imagine, it attracts people that want to please. And, you know, it's like if you come at it from a, like, I want to be liked, it's, you know, you're not really going to develop a unique voice. Like, right. developing a unique voice in comedy is so hard to do because you have to succeed enough. I mean, you have to succeed enough that people, you know, that you can do it, but, like, 
you know, you have to be willing to, like, kind of be a little different. Otherwise, you just sound like everybody else. And right. everyone right. usually sounds like Sarah Silverman, unfortunately. <laughs> That's, you know, she created a whole generation of people who, you know, it's, I mean, it's, I always be like, okay, the first, like, hundred female comics who talk about their vagina, great. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, after that, it's like, we've heard it all before. So I was going to ask who's an example of someone that has, like, a really unique voice, but I guess Sarah Silverman would be a good example of that. Well, I would say Maria Bamford. I mean, I actually think Sarah was kind of, when I first started, I thought she was, um, funny but like not necessarily like very like kind of a man's idea of a funny female comic and but I think she's gotten a lot more um kind of come into her own voice Mm -hmm. and her own self and um but but I would say probably Maria Tig Notaro um you know a lot of people that you would not know um who aren't even, a lot of people who don't even probably do comedy anymore. I mean, a lot of people, it's a very hard thing to stick with, mm-hmm. I think. So, because you're not, unless you're famous, you're not making a lot of money. I don't know. I think Kathy Griffin is actually, um, is pretty funny mm-hmm. and very successful. Um, I don't know. It's a hard, it's a very hard road. I don't know. I cannot even believe I've done as much as I've done in comedy. And, like, you know, I am in you know nobody knows who I am but I think it's because I'm I'm very like just did it locally when it's fun you know I just kind of like invested in like my local community Mm -hmm. and and creating you know environments to perform in there like I'm not I don't know like I I watch comics on tv I'm just exhausted watching them it's exhausting because you're like projecting and putting yourself in their position or what is the what's exhausting about it I don't know. It feels just, um, I feel like I, I mean, I'm like 46. I've been doing this a long time. I'm right. I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface of finding my own voice and, and having the confidence to actually, you know, be myself. Um, so I, I, I look at other people and I'm just, I ask myself, is that a joke? They really feel and want to tell or is that just like a good joke that which you know and and I've talked about this with other comics like a lot like it's very easy and I've heard of this and I've seen it of, for comics to develop an act that they actually don't like at all but it works yeah yeah and so the challenge is to write an act that you like stand behind and I think I even felt a lot of fear about being a super feminist comic, but it's getting so much. I just now it's, a, it's at the point where like what's funny about a lot of my jokes is that I'm actually just. I think people are laughing at the fact that I'm saying what I really think. Like, <laughs> that's funny, you know that that's funnier than than anything I've written. Just that I'm like I I'm like the edit function is going away, and I'm able to just say what I really think, and it's like. And that's when it becomes, like, magical and um, just so cathartic. Like, where I feel like, oh, my God, I feel so good being up here saying these things in public in front of a room full of mostly men. Like, it's really liberating. That's amazing. 
Well, now, as you're saying this, I'm thinking of um, Hannah, what was her name? Hannah Gadsby. Yeah, of Nanette. She's amazing. That was like, that was unlike anything I've ever seen. And it was like, I mean, it was comedy, but it was also just like art. And she like deconstructed it as she was going. I thought that was incredible and kind of like ushering in a new era of what comedy looks like. Yeah, and I mean, she she got a lot of flack for not being quote-unquote funny throughout the whole thing, um, but the thing is, is that she is hilarious, and she does know how to be funny, so it, she did it by choice, not because she doesn't know what she's doing as a comic. Right. Um, and what I loved about her whole thing was that it just, it was, she just spoke her pure truth, and it it just, that to me was sort of like, when I started comedy, I just got from the people around me that that was really the purpose of it, was to come from a place of truth and authenticity, and you were kind of like, you know, if you didn't, you were kind of made fun of, you know, like there, there was like pressure to be real, and it feels like it just, I don't know, I mean, there's all kinds of comics, and you know, you can like, I guess my friend that I was talking to, he calls them party comics that are just like, they're just sort of like leading the party of, um, of you know, drunk people uh, who, I don't know, they're just they're different styles, and but it's definitely not all about creating art, that's for sure. Right. And, and I think that she really, what did exactly that, creating art. Yeah, that was such a cool thing to watch, especially because... That's not when I turned it on, you know, it says comedy special. It just like was not what I expected at all. Which did I think you, did you see it before our podcast? Because we had a podcast about it um, that was like a little bit before the whole like rush. Um, I think that I watched it before because I feel like I went into I don't remember the timeline exactly, but I went into it. Um, kind of not really knowing what I was getting myself into. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I I had heard about it before, just from, from, like, podcasts I had listened to before it came out, and then I actually watched it, like, a few days after it came out, and I was like, oh, my God, Hannah Gatsby. But it seems like it didn't really get any traction for, like, another month. And yeah. And it became, like, huge. I feel like I was somewhere in the middle of that, like right before it blew up because I feel like when people started talking about it a lot I had already seen it right um so just to switch gears a little bit I would love to hear a little bit more about how you transitioned from living in Berkeley and then coming over to the east coast at Yale and then going back to LA that's like three completely I different I know. situations I know I totally covered I know it's funny because like I think I landed in the right place, um, but yeah, it was definitely culture shock to go from Berkeley to the East Coast, and um, my sister lives in New York, which, I mean, New York is different, um, it's like its own thing, um, but I definitely felt like I had such a different experience, I mean, I've had a different experience than most people in this country, but definitely when I went to Yale, I was like, I did not, I just didn't really, 
I didn't come from a wealthy background. I didn't come from a super traditional one. And that was definitely a, um, which, which was okay. Cause I actually like a lot of people from my high school went to Yale, relatively speaking. So I had people from Berkeley around me. Oh, that's nice. And so, yeah, so I had friends there and, um, but it, it mostly what I felt at Yale was kind of like, I don't know, just my friend described it who also went to Yale as kind of like a risk averse, um, culture and so and not that I'm a huge risk taker but definitely more so um and then uh going coming to LA I mean LA is is pretty metropolitan I mean it's, it's a huge city I mean with all kinds of people so in that sense in one sense it's great because you can just do your own thing here and always find like-minded people in your you know create your own bubble basically um so I find L.A. a good place for creative people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're not going to be lonely. <laughs> it's not going. It's going to be. It's not necessarily going to be easy. But there is like space to kind of do whatever it is you do. You can find a way to do it here. That's nice, and that's that's not true of everywhere. So LA yeah, seems like no, a good I, fit. I, yeah, I definitely um, get that sense. And, I don't. I I go back to the Bay Area all the time, and I I appreciate it, but I don't feel like it's the right place for me to live. And now it's so different because of the tech. Because of tech, it's just almost like a different. It's almost a totally different place. Oh yeah, and that's probably changed a lot within the last what, like, fifteen years, probably. Yeah. Oh my God. Last ten years has just changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. So it feels like, and it's so congested. It almost feels like LA, like in terms of traffic. Like, oh wow. I think the Bay Area might even be worse than LA now. But LA used to be like the place where people complained about traffic. But, um, but I, I feel like know. in LA, everyone has like their spot, and like, I don't know. You don't really. If you know you're gonna leave your neighborhood, you like plan for it and you know it. Um, and I wonder if San Francisco is like that. I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, San Francisco Bay Area also has public, better public transportation, so... That's true. Um, so that helps. But, um, but if you, a lot of people drive and it, it's just, the traffic is terrible. Well, I don't really have to deal with that in Buffalo, New York. <laughs> really? Um, I mean, What's the worst, it like there? The worst traffic we have, you probably, unless there's like an accident or something, or like snow or something bad that happened, the most you'll have to wait in traffic is like 10 or 20 minutes. That's oh it. Oh my God. <laughs> and you can go anywhere in the city at any time. <laughs> oh, nice. Just a little bit different. And sometimes parking's free, so there's that oh too. Oh my God. Um, um, so I think, well, are there any other projects that you would like to fill us in, fill my listeners in about that you're working on now? Um, well, mostly it's my comedy album that I'm, I'm going to work on promoting and, um, and then, uh, the, the podcast that Jen and I co-host, Take Down the Patriarchy, Love which it. you can find on iTunes, um, and, um, you can... Um, if you want to really follow me, you can um, visit my website, which I have two, but they're connected. But the one where I have my blog is called Search for Sanity, 
S-E-A-R-C-H-F-O-R-S-A-N-I-T-Y. It's a long story why that's the name. Um, but um, And then I have SolangeCaster.com, actually. It's probably easier just to remember SolangeCaster.com. <laughs> All right. So, um, and then I have a newsletter if anybody wants to be on it. But um, I announce my shows and whatever is going on. So um, right now it's just been the album and um, the podcast. But I might remount my play. Who knows? And I would be uh, so excited I, to see it if that comes up. I know. Do you ever come out here? I do once in a while. Oh, okay. And yeah. you visit Jen or do you have other family No, I friends? visit Jen and then we have another friend out there too. So... So cool. Yeah. So, the question that I ask all of my guests is what does it mean to you and in general to be a woman in 2018? Um, yeah, I was thinking about that because, um, I mean, I have always been like kind of weird and super feminist and kind of like, you know, just anti patriarchy I don't know I, I feel like I was like born that way or but it feels like in 2018 it's becoming more like now I'm starting to make sense you know like yeah. I just feel like now I feel like not weird anymore I feel like I'm you know what I'm talking about is relevant and but it didn't it did not always feel that way to me at all so um I don't know I feel like for me, I feel like it's the best time to be a female comic, um, probably in the history of of the world, and probably the same for you know like um, you know like political figures and you know there's 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 just so much more space it feels for women to speak about what they are really going through. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's such a bold statement. Right now is the best time in the history of the world to be a woman. Oh my god, do you not agree? I mean, I totally do, yeah. There's, each day it gets a little better, but it just kind of sucks I mean, because it's, it's, it's not... it's still terrible. Yeah, it's still yeah, terrible. Yeah, it's still terrible. But, like, but it was horrible for, right. like, the history of, of life. I right. mean, what women have had to go through, so... I feel like I have a very privileged life, you know, as a woman, and and that's all because of all, you know, all that. But, I mean, I think there's always been outlier women who've kind of done their own thing in history, but they've been very few, and they've been mostly white, and, you know, it's... And there it's, were, like, um, privileges that allowed them to yeah, get to that place. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But, but now it just... I don't know, it feels like all this space is opening up. and um, But it also feels, and, and Jen and I have talked about it on our podcast, like, you know, like the patriarchy is clamping down, too. Like, it's definitely not easy. Right. But, you know, so it's like, it's still, and I think it's going to be, like, a challenge forever. Like, I don't think it, it's, but, but slowly, hopefully, it gets better. I mean, I think we're doing a lot of legwork right now to make things different for the generation of women that's coming after us. Yes. So that's, like, comforting, but also, like, kind of sucks that we won't get to see the fruits of our labor. 
Well, we might, but you also, but then it's also sometimes I'm like, you know what? Maybe we're not that far from the Handmaid's Tale either. You know what I mean? Right. Like it could go either it's way. It's a very fine line. <laughs> yeah, I mean it. It doesn't. I feel like I don't know if you watched the Handmaid's Tale. Oh, I've seen it all like, of it. Read the book. Yeah, like the, in the beginning, it was very. They were living in pretty good times, and then right. it just changed on a dime. And I've and I've heard that revolutions are like that, you know. So, um, I mean, it is supposed to be like the future of. Well, I mean, I when was the book written? Like the eighties. Like it was supposed to be what the future was going to look like. Right, and, the dystopian future. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's it's really hard to say like day to day, but it does feel like like. I have to say that in a year, I can't even believe how much happened from, like, when hashtag MeToo started, you know, in 2017 to now. Right. I mean, it's shocking to me. Shocking in, like, a good or a bad way. In a good way, but also, like, what? This is real? Like, I just, I, I'm just amazed that how, how much more credibility women have. I mean, after, like, centuries of being, you know, your word meant nothing, mm-hmm. you know, your experience meant nothing. It's, it just really speaks to how women have been treated like dirt forever, and and that's really the reality that people need to accept, is that women are just treated terribly in the world, not just here, but in globally. Right. I mean, globally, there's so much work to do. There's so much farther to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, we barely even, we don't even understand right. what, yeah, what it's like to be a woman in a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are relatively free in the United States, for sure. Yes. So, speaking of, what are your favorite parts of being a woman, and what are your least favorite parts, or the hardest parts? Um... My favorite part of being a woman is, um, well, I feel like I don't always really appreciate or embrace, like, um, femininity. Like, I'm sure I, like, think it's, you know, I have internalized misogyny about it, but, um, I do think that, um, you know, feminine energy, whether you're a man or a woman, is really a great thing to celebrate, whether it's, like, dressing up or putting on makeup or, you know, being nurturing your friendships. It's just not valued in our culture, but it's something I'm working on valuing more. The ability to get dressed up and... Um, really... No, I just mean, like, like feminine energy in oh, general. Okay. Like, receptive, being, like, a receptive kind of... Yeah, like not being all about creating and doing, which is what I tend to do a lot of, um, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does make sense. So then what is your, wait, was that kind of like both questions answered? What was your least favorite part? Oh, my least favorite part. Um, oh my God, I just feel like there's so little medical research done on women's bodies and oh I gosh. feel like we have like totally. suffered so much because of it and that you know that's my least favorite part is dealing with ovaries and 
all that because it's mm-hmm. just there's no it's just like go on birth control pills that's all you get from doctors and then people don't believe you if you like mention like symptoms doctors yeah. don't believe you because they don't there's just nothing they don't have any training or any research or anything or just they're just trained to think that women are just complaining I guess and then also paid by pharmaceutical companies to give you certain things yeah that's why I'm like not a fan of I mean I know birth control pills help women not get pregnant but I'm not a fan of taking them for other like medical reasons yeah 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 that's a really good point I never thought about that quite like that before that the reason that there aren't answers for things is because there aren't studies for things that women issues that women have like the fact that that study just came out recently that um, mentioned like the super high mortality rate for black women specifically when yeah. giving birth like that number it's not like we're in a third world country we have medical care here for the most well, I mean not everyone has medical care but like the fact that that happens is insane yeah that was tragic and we actually have the highest um um maternal mortality rate of any western country in general so it's just yeah and it it just speaks to probably the patriarchal culture of medicine in general right and like our values as a culture for sure yes Yeah. (laughs) So that stuff makes me really angry and I feel like I've just barely started really understanding it. And, you know, I'm kind of like, there's just so much to learn about our bodies. Yeah, absolutely. So if any uh, scientists or doctors are out there listening, time to start uh, studying some things about women, about our bodies. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Hopefully I have many scientists and doctors who are listening to this. That would be awesome. Our future scientists. <laughs> yes, that also. Um, so this, my next couple of questions here. So is there anything you think the world needs to know about women that it doesn't know already? And it might be what you just said. Um, I mean, I think that's like, there's a ton of things the world doesn't know or accept about women. Like we just, cause we've just been trained to dismiss ourselves you know, our feelings. And, um, so in a way I feel like femaleness is kind of disconnected from itself. And I don't know, I guess the challenge of life is trying to reconnect with that. Mm -hmm. And, um, but specifically, um, I think, um, I, I think personally, I know Jen and I have talked about it, that there's just a lot of emphasis on, on men and having a man in your life. And if you don't, then you're not as important. And I think that that's something that women probably need to acknowledge more than anyone about the way we've been kind of socialized and conditioned to think about our worth and our value. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, being single or not being married is like, not a reflection of your value. And I think that's like definitely ingrained into young women. Oh, I think that's absolutely true. I struggled with that so much. Like when I think about it now, like I was in my like mid to late twenties 
and I felt like it was the end of the world, like being single was the end of the world. And right. I was only, I was very young and like, not that like age has anything to do with it, but like at that particular age, I was too young to be having those like crushing feelings about something that ultimately didn't matter. Yeah. And I mean, it's one thing to want a partner cause you're lonely and everything, but like, I don't know when I think about like some of the people I've chosen because I just thought it was so important to have a man in my life and really it makes me really sad. Mm-hmm. And I just feel sad for women who compromise themselves because they feel so much pressure. Right. And, and, and that, and that's like not even about an age. That's like every age. Right. Right. I mean, I guess I can think back to high school and even middle school and like relate to that on some level where I was like, I need to have a boyfriend. I know. Yeah. No, that's, um, so I think that's something that women need to really kind of like come to terms with individually. I was like, I need to have a boyfriend so he can play me the Dane Cook CD. (laughs) I know exactly. (laughs) Because what they're going to do is just reinforce male culture onto you more. Right. But, like, if you're with a man and you're in a different place in life, then you're able to, like, appreciate them, but not, I don't know, I think formative women need to support each other. Right. In their formative years. Definitely. What issue that affects women are you most passionate about? Um... I mean, probably, oh God, all of them, but probably like sexual harassment and assault Mm -hmm. and young women being assaulted, drinking, you know, women who have too much, just the whole rape culture, Mm -hmm. fraternity culture, probably that. I mean, that's the worst. (laughs) Um, Have you ever read, um, there's a book called Female Chauvinist Pigs. Yeah, I did. Um, so much of what we're talking about right now, I've only read it recently. Um, Shannon, who was my guest in episode two, um, gave it to me for my birthday. Um, but it's so it was written in 2005, which is like the year I graduated from high school. And so much that's written in that book explains so much about how I was socialized um, yes. and so much of what I wasn't aware of at the time. And it was just such, like, an eye-opening book that explained so many behaviors that I had that I didn't know. that Like, I didn't know where my influences were coming from. Yeah, that that book was, I mean, I kind of already suspected it, but it sort of, like, really spelled out mm-hmm. what was going on. That that book was one of those books where you're like, thank God it was written. You yeah, absolutely. I mean? was like, that it was just, like, that is, like, a cornerstone Another book that Jen and I have talked about is Marriage, a History by um, Susan Kuntz. And um, anyway, oh, yeah, that's another book. just came out about that one, We just right? talk about it. Yeah, and that's another book where I, I like, that book kind of changed my life. You know, like, they like rock, these books like rock your world. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I haven't listened to a lot of your episodes because they're like, movies that I haven't seen or TV shows that I haven't watched or books that I haven't read where I'm like, I need to do that first before I listen. Oh no, not at all. (laughs) Sometimes we don't even, it doesn't even matter 
yeah. what we're talking about. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's really just like a way to start another conversation. Yeah, definitely. All right, I'll keep that in mind because I don't know. I do that all the time where like movies come out and I'm like, but I need to read the book before I see the movie. Um, I'll work. Yeah, <laughs> no, I always listen to stuff about movies that I haven't, you haven't seen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think we'll jump to, um, stories of subversion. So do you want to start with your subversive woman? So is this a woman that I know or? Oh, it can be a woman from history. It can be someone who is, has died. It can be someone in your life. It can be yourself. It can be anybody. So, um, the woman, I guess my first, like, subversive woman crush was Zelda Fitzgerald, who oh, you would probably know of because yeah. um, I read her biography called Zelda, mm-hmm. and just, I mean, her life is actually very tragic. It is. I mean, very tragic, but, like, she was so spirited and subversive in her, and it kind of ruined her in a way, mm-hmm. but she was like, I don't know, I just, and I also think about a lot about how, like, her work was co-opted by her husband, Yeah, and then he got all the credit for it. I still think they should retroactively give her credit for oh, The definitely. Great Gatsby. So, I, I think, uh, I mean, it's not really, but I think most women's stories, I mean, probably, you know, had a lot of hardship in them, but that I just think she, um, you know, she really tried to fight back in her own way. Right. And And she was the wife of F. Scott Fitzgerald who wrote the great Gatsby. Right. And, um, she died tragically in a fire when she was like 35 or something, but Mm -hmm. she, um, but she was also a writer and she was plagued with mental illness. Although who knows how much of it was mental illness and how much of it was just like, society labeling her because they couldn't really control her because she was very her own her she was very much her own person Mm -hmm. and I mean and there was so much involved with like like just excessive wealth and just like being able to be very frivolous and you know excessive like partying and drinking and like I feel like a combination of all those things just didn't bode well for her yeah I agree it's really sad yeah and I do wonder of all that we've heard about her like how much is true yeah I mean I've read a couple um like I've read other things about her but I also have her books too that she wrote save me the waltz um yeah and how much of it was she was mythologized but right but she definitely, whether it was true or not, she definitely wrote a lot of that stuff herself. That's true. I guess I haven't read enough of what she herself has written. Yeah, I mean, her book isn't that great, but, like, she wrote a lot of the stuff that he took, mm-hmm. like, from her letters. She wrote a lot of letters. Yeah. And those are amazing. I'll have to read those. I know that there's a show on, I think it's on Amazon, that's called, I think it's just called Z or something. That's like yeah. her story. I haven't watched that either. Yeah, it didn't look very good to me, but it looked kind of, I don't know. But I, I yeah, I would be interested in watching it. I think it's like Christina Ricci plays yeah. Zelda. Yeah, I yes. got a lot of things to watch and read. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you have another story of subversion or is that is Zelda your pick? Um, yeah, I'm sorry if that wasn't, it wasn't oh, no, a very that's, good one. Oh my God, that's great. <laughs> I love her. 
Um, yeah. I mean, mine is not very like thorough tonight. Um, uh, as my, you know, been a little under the weather. Yeah, um, but... no, this is great though. I think this has been really thorough. <laughs> yeah, I think so. we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah, um, I think so. But my story of subversion for this episode is all of the badass women that have been elected to any position in our government yes. within the last 24 hours. Right now it's the day after election day. And there have been some defeats in some situations, but there are over the more women are in Congress than have ever been before. I know and it's amazing. There are so many people that just reflect more of what our country actually looks like. Um, there are two 29-year-old women that have been elected to Congress. There are two Muslim women. There's the first Native American woman. The first, well, actually, the first Native American woman is also the first lesbian woman elected to Congress, I think. Um, and then many states are sending their first female um, representative. And then there are so many governors and so many... Um, black women from certain states are being sent to Congress for the first time. So it's just, I mean, I think that it's just the, when you, I just think of like those pictures that we see sometimes of our government where it's like literally every single person is an old white man in the room. I know. And I just feel like these, those pictures are going to change based on what happened in the last 24 hours. It's not going to look like it has before, which is no, incredible. It is incredible. Yeah, I have to say that I, I have drawn a lot of hope from this election, mm -hmm. like a shocking amount. I do feel like things are changing. I don't know. It's weird. Things are changing, and they're also still hard. There's still a lot to do. Definitely. But it definitely feels like there's progress, and I am really inspired by all these women as well. I agree. It feels, and I mean, just looking at, like, the voter turnout, which was much larger than it's been. I think we're moving in the right direction. Um, I think so, too. Maybe slowly, but... Or maybe not yeah, slowly. I, I don't know. I feel and like... I, lo I love, like, our podcast. Like, you have this womankind podcast, and we have Take Down the Patriarchy. And, and we are working on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that... Well, when was your podcast... When did you guys start your podcast? I started it two years ago with Jessica Cabot. And okay. then she... Um, she could, she moved on to other things, and then Jen became my partner, mm -hmm. like, I think in May. Oh, okay. Yeah, pretty yeah. pretty recently. like Pretty recently, yeah. yeah. But we've, like, been jamming. We've had, like, we've been doing a lot since, yeah. since she came on board. So she's kind of, she's helped me take it to, like, another level. Good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I started this two years ago as well. So, you know, that's, we all know what happened two years ago, so. Yeah. <laughs> So this election, this horrible man in office has maybe been like a weird kind of gift right. to like changing. He's been an agent of change. That's for sure. That is for sure. Yeah, I've said that um, before that maybe like if nothing else, you know, people waking up and people doing the work is a good thing. Yes. Um. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, that's pretty much all I have. Is there anything that you wanted to add? Anything about where people can find you or anything like that? 
Well, I think um, SolangeCastro.com is probably the (laughs) easiest place. And if you want to be on my newsletter, you're welcome to. And um, no, I think that's all. On my podcast, we try to have two a month, but um, it doesn't always work out. But we're actually, we've done a pretty good job. It's called Take Down the Patriarchy, and you can find it on iTunes. So please subscribe. And um, that's it. Thank you so much, Kelsey. This is so great. And I'm also just so happy that we got to meet. I know. This is great. Very um, privileged to have met you. And I hope we get to hang out when you come. (laughs) Oh, we definitely will. Next time I'm in LA, we will hang out. Okay, that sounds great. I Um, hope you feel better too. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I'm just gonna close out the episode. Um, So, if you are looking to find Womankind, you can find me at Womankind Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Um, You can email me at womankindpodcast at gmail.com or visit my website, www.womankindpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Bye, friends.